0: Today we begin the. uh, It's the beginning of the end. We uh, are starting in uh, Galatians chapter five, and uh, we're going to be talking about what it looks like, what it means to walk in this freedom that Paul has been talking about for for the last several chapters in the book of Galatians. But before we start, Roy, could you put that first um, slide up, the first verse of that last song that we that we just sang? Um, This struck me this morning. As I was reading these lyrics, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, to me, as I read that lyric, it kind of makes it sort of—it kind of minim- sounds to me like it kind of minimizes. I'm sure it doesn't. If I somebody could probably explain it to me at the end of the service to, to just understanding that, but I think it should say, "My hope is built on nothing else other than Jesus' blood and His righteousness." I mean, it's—it's—that's it. it, 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 that's it. Somebody told me after the service last week, he said, you know the most important part of John 3.16? It's the period at the end. It's believe in Jesus Christ, period. Adding nothing else. There is no other way. And Paul continues to focus on that uh, even in our passage today. Now I want to start off with a statement this morning. Write this in the little introduction section in your notes that I gave you there. I want you to write this down. It will be up on the screen. It's this, gospel transformation is different than moral reformation. Gospel transformation is different than moral reformation. Uh, Richard Lovelace, a seminary professor, gave this illustration concerning this statement. He said, if you ever had a rod, and this is a, this is a pipe, um, but if you ever had a rod that was bent, and there's two ways in which you can straighten this rod out. One way you can straighten this rod out is by exerting some external force to it and, and pushing it straight. Now, what's likely going to happen if I do that? Um, if you've ever had a, a, a radio antenna on your car busted or bent over and you tried to straighten it, what happened? You, you, it probably broke, but if you were lucky like I was here a few months ago, it worked. Okay, And then I wrapped it in black electrical tape hoping that that would do it, right? Uh, it didn't. Because eventually it got hit again or bumped again and it, it bent over again. And then when I tried to straighten it, it just broke. Okay? Uh, and and that, is, that is this moral reformation. It, it, it's this external discipline and pressure in trying to straighten our own lives out. Now, there's another way that you could, um, that you could straighten this out. Uh, what is that? Put it in some heat. Heat it up until it is red hot. And once it gets heated up, and, and you know when you bend this, um, something happens to the metal, doesn't it? It's like, there's, it's like there's fibers or something in there that stretch and they get fractured and they get broken. And when you, when you straighten it out with, with physical exertion, even though it may look straight um, and strong, it's actually much weaker than it was before it was bent. The second way, again, is to heat it up and get that red hot. And when that's red hot, then you can straighten it out and you can reform it and refashion it. And if you cool it properly, what happens to it is stronger than it was before. It gets tempered. Now, I've never had any luck with that because I was cool it too fast or something like that. But, but, but that's what happens. And, and I want you to think about, as we go through this passage today, I want you to think about that illustration. The this, this seminary, seminary professor then said this. He said, if you've been abused or you have bad habits or your life is kind of a mess, you can do two things. You can exert some external force or, or positive thinking or behavior modification or accountability or self-help books, and you could just kind of bend your way back straight. But it's not going to be lasting change. Uh, or through the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, submitting yourselves to Him, you could put your heart in the fire. The fire of the one who made you, the fire of the one who created you. And the changes that he makes in your life will be lasting and permanent. When our lives glow and and and, and he transforms us and, and our lives are shaped, and sometimes it's it is that heat of experience that he puts us through. Our lives are stronger. Than ever, but that only happens when we 're transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ uh, many years ago it 's been at least fifteen years. Uh, they had this event, this thing over at Torrington middle School, at least at the time I think they did it countywide for a while i 'm not sure if they 're still doing it called Youth Challenge. This organization would come in they 'd bring all the kids into the gym and and they had volunteers come, I was one of them, and some other pastors, we came, and we, we, led, we led these small groups, and, and they would bring all of these middle school kids into the gym, and they would begin putting them through these, these exercises throughout the course of the day, and, and the purpose of the day was to draw their emotions out, to, to, to in a sense kind of break these kids' uh, shell that they had around themselves so that they, could, they would expose themselves to one another. Okay, and by the end of the day, you had kids who who didn't have very many friends, who were the kids that everybody picked on. They were they were opening their hearts wide open and sharing with everyone what it felt like to be ridiculed and what it felt like to be put down and what it felt like to be teased. And and it and it seemed to you know it, it seemed to make them feel better that everybody knew this. And then of course you have all the cool kids and the popular kids and and at least on the outside these kids are realizing what they're doing to these other kids. And, and they were saying things like, you know, I'm sorry and I'll never do that again and I know now how much it hurts, etc., etc., etc. And it just absolutely transformed the hallways of Torrington Middle School for about a day. Right? I mean, you could see it coming. Maybe a week at most for some kids. and And... And the the, the second year, I walked away from that going, you know what? Until there's actually a change of their heart, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Moral reformation isn't going to work. Only Gospel transformation. And Paul makes that very clear here. Because the power and freedom that comes from just discipline... Of our morality is often short lived and weak, but gospel transformation, it's powerful, it's permanent, and it's eternal. Incredible. Incredible. Look look at Galatians chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Let's see what Paul has to say this morning. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await Through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. What is this freedom? Well, point number one is in Jesus Christ, we are free. And we're, we're going to be focusing in the next few weeks more on this. And, and uh, if, if you leave here today and you kind of have some questions about something, come the next couple of weeks. And if you still have questions after we've flushed through these last two chapters, let's, we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll see if we can't figure out... Um, an answer to the question that you have, but as we begin this point here, I want to I want to read from the message of Galatians only one way, a commentary by John Stott. This is what he says: as the New English Bible puts it, verse one, Christ set us free to be free men. Our former state is portrayed as slavery, and we've seen this over and over and over again in the last few weeks. Jesus Christ, so our former state is portrayed as a slavery. Jesus Christ is a liberator conversion as an act of emancipation, and the Christian life as a life of freedom. This freedom, as the whole letter and and this context make plain, is not primarily a freedom from sin, but rather from the law. What Christ has done in liberating us, according to Paul's emphasis here, is not so much to set our will free from the bondage of sin as to set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. The Christian freedom he describes is freedom of conscience, freedom from the tyranny of the law, the dreadful struggle to keep the law with a view to winning the favor of God. It is the freedom of acceptance with God, of access to God through Christ. So in Jesus Christ, we are free. Now, even though this isn't Paul's emphasis here, I do want to mention it because it's biblical. Um, we are free. Definitely, as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, freed from the bondage of sin. We're freed from sin. Um, Sin before Christ has a grip on us. Um, That's what we do. We sin. We know no other. And upon the moment of faith, we begin experiencing our relationship with Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Eternal life isn't something that just comes one day when we pass from this earth and onto eternity. It starts the day that you are granted the Holy Spirit. The day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And He begins to mold you and transform you. Putting us through the heat and the straightening for these bent rods of lives that we have and we've become straight and tempered and useful in the kingdom and for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit has an enormous part of this and, and as I said, there are things that we're going to be talking about more and that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about more is the Holy Spirit's role in our daily lives. So in Christ, we're free from sin. We're also free from the law. Uh, not going to dwell on this much over and over, Paul in his letter reminds us, it's not the law, it's not the law, it's not the law. It's not what you do, it's not what you do, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus has done in you. And the, the Judaizers that Paul is being confronted with, they're constantly pushing on him, pushing on him, pushing on him, arguing with him, saying, saying that, that there's even a couple times where they say, well, Paul is actually saying this. And Paul's like, no, I'm not actually saying that. If I was actually saying that, do you think I would still be persecuted? No, of course not. Salvation is not through the law. Oh, you could believe in Jesus, they would say. They were okay with that, but they said only if you're circumcised and follow the law and the ceremonies can you actually... Be saved. I really uh, like the way the New Living Translation in Galatians chapter 3, 22 and 25 says this. Let me read that for you. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Jesus fulfilled it. We are free from the law. We are free. And As I've thought about our, our Christian life and my Christian life this week, I, I, I kind of liken it to, to a soccer game. You know the the U.S. men's team is going to play for the gold cup, the World Cup tonight. Or actually, it's at twelve thirty today. Um, best men's soccer team the U.S. has ever fielded. It's ten straight wins. I I hope they can go all the way, and they do it. But as I as I have, you know, in soccer is, are there any real soccer fans in here? Raise your hands because I don't want to offend too many of you. Uh, I think soccer is one of those sports that you just kind of have to grow and learn to love. I, you know, Maybe you can be born with that, but for me, you know, I've had to learn to love it. But to like it. I've had to learn to like it. Um, but as I think about a soccer field, you know, there really, there's really only three things that you need to know um, on a soccer field. One, you need to know what the boundary is. right? Um, two, you need to know that you can't touch it with your hands. And three, you need to know that you can't push other players down. Pretty much, if you know those things, you can play a game of soccer. And, and, and so, how do you move the ball around the field? Well, however you feel like it. You can bounce it off your head or your nose or your ear or your knee. There's all kinds of freedom on the pitch. And, and that's really the way the Christian life is. Uh, There are some boundaries, yes, and and we're going to be talking about those uh, next week for sure. Uh, But there is unbelievable freedom to live and love and serve and be. For freedom. It is for freedom Christ set us free. Then Paul continues in verse 2, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Point number two, um, Paul says, stand firm in your freedom. Don't let yourself be pulled back down in this direction. Now, um, some of you uh, might be thinking... um, well, I didn't really have the choice as to whether I was circumcised or not. I wasn't old enough to object. Okay? Um, Paul's not saying if you have, then you're just out of luck. Okay? Uh, there, is, there is a reason and an, and an intent that someone in, in that, that Paul is talking about, would be circumcised, and it is because somebody said, this is what I have to do to be saved. Okay? Because later on, Paul says, it doesn't matter, have or haven't. And and something else that we need to understand about the context of of Paul's writing is that oftentimes when it talks about circumcision and and it's closely related to the whole law, you you kind of lump both of those things together and it's it's all of that. It's the the traditions of Judaism. It's following those laws and and calendar dates and, and customs and all of that. So Paul reminds us to hold on to what he taught. Um, remember when he said in chapter 1 that if there's anybody else that teaches you anything different, they would be cursed because they're wrong. Um, what we originally taught you, Galatians, that, that that salvation is in Christ alone. Hang on to that. Even if angels, he said, were to bring you something different. Don't listen. Don't listen to them. Don't be swayed from the truth. We need to know what the truth is, don't we? And we have it right here. We have the truth right here. God teaches us about Himself and teaches us what's important to Him and teaches us what He would have for us. And uh, there's just all kinds of things that God teaches us through His Word. And and you know, as a pastor, um, as pastors, we can we can lead you to the water. Um, We can even on a Sunday morning maybe feed you a little bit of salt, but we can't make you drink. I can't do the drinking for you. You have to do the drinking. You need to let this soak into your life. You need to let this speak to you. God speaks to us through His Word. And we continue to grow in our understanding of who He is and how He acts in His creation. Having a proper fear of him and a a proper understanding of him as as Daddy, as Ty talked a couple weeks ago, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Now it seems like in our culture today it gets easier and easier to sway people, doesn't it? At least I think it does. You know, you, you can be talking to somebody and they'll say something that they'll they'll swear is the gospel truth about something, and then they'll end it with, "Well, I read it on the internet. It must be true, right?" I mean we we allow ourselves to be influenced and we subject ourselves to so many different ideas and things that we have to be cautious and we can't be swayed from the truth. Jesus says that, that we humans are like sheep. I don't like that illustration. I take exception to that. I'm not a sheep. They're stinky and stupid and they get lost easily and they die for no reason. And then, as I really seriously start thinking about it, I think, you know, man, I. It's a good. It's a good illustration. I am like a sheep, um, and I think we're especially like sheep in this way. Um, when I was growing up, we used to, to lamb out about three hundred, uh, range ewes. They'd just haul them in from the mountains and stick them in a corral, and we would lamb them out. Lots of fun. Um, And, of course, it's in the wintertime and there would be times where there would be a blizzard forecast and and we'd have to put them all inside, 300 ewes inside. And uh, our barn wasn't big enough unless we put them upstairs in the loft, the hayloft as well. So so we built this ramp. It went up to a landing and then it turned 90 degrees and it went up into the hayloft. Okay, great idea, right? There's only one problem. Convincing a sheep to go up the chute. But, if we could get one to go, Katie, bar the door, you better get out of the way, because if one goes, they're all going. And that's exactly what happens. If we could get one to go, it was just like, cheap. (laughs) They were just following one another. And that's exactly what we do. So we need to be cautious not to sway from the truth. Paul says in verse nine, he says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. We need to be careful. In in Wyoming, I think a, a more pertinent illustration might be that, that it can spread like a wildfire in August. I mean, it's just going to take off. We must be careful not to be swayed from the truth. And one of those truths is that in Jesus Christ we are free. We're free. Now some people wonder how in the world we can be free when there are other passages in the Bible. In fact, in this very chapter where Paul gives us this list of do's and don'ts. Because there are commands in Scripture. There are things that that we are not to do and there are things that we do. And, And the problem is that we have gained this understanding of freedom that freedom means that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's the kind of freedom that is promoted in our culture in this country. And, and ultimately, that's not freedom. I mean, most parents in this room would recognize that that that's really not freedom. If if you know a, a parent who just lets their kid do whatever, they don't care what time they come in, they don't care where they're at, they don't care what they do, they have all of this freedom. Think about that. Are they really free? Are they really gonna uh, be the potential that 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 God put in them? If if there are no boundaries, if there's no love in their life, I would say no. I would say that child ultimately, though they might say they're not free, they're more free than they, than they know, than they realize. And uh, that's one of those things, this freedom. We're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit more next week as we tackle the end of chapter 5. But as we think about this freedom that we have, we want to add something to that freedom, don't we? You know, we're we're, a, we're and I don't know if it's our if it's just a selfishness of us and this pride that we have uh, that we've learned this over a long period of time. But but we don't we really, for the most part, don't like to get something for nothing. I mean, I mean, I'm all for free stuff, but if. If it's something meaningful and important, it seems like we somehow we think we need to pay for it. We think we need to provide something for this, and and that's that's not an act of freedom. That's that's not being truly free. Uh, A few years back, as I was remembering other illustrations this week, uh, we were on a mission trip to Las Vegas. Is there anybody in this room that actually went on that mission trip with me? Mary, you were on that trip, but you're my age. Um, well, I'm sorry, you're not as old as I am, but um, we had kids on that mission trip who now have kids and are a part of this church. So that's how long ago it was, just to give you a little bit of... uh, Context there, but we're in, in Las Vegas and uh, we're doing various things and God's doing amazing things. We're having conversations with people in parking lots and we're doing prayer walks through casinos and our kids' eyes are being opened to the to just the darkness that is Las Vegas. It's not the bright lights and all of that. They're they're seeing how, how just the the depression that is there and in in the lives of the people that uh, many people that go to Las Vegas. But we we did this thing to really try and encourage the neighborhood that we were in. We did a free car wash. Free. Uh, We don't want your money. Don't even try to give it to us. We don't want it. We just want to wash your car. Now, for people that were bringing their cars, that was in in fact free. But water is really expensive in Las Vegas. And so for the ministry itself, it cost about $1,000 just for that day doing doing the car wash. So there was a cost there, but the cost was not borne by those people that came in the parking lot. And do you think we could convince people to pull in the parking lot and let us wash their car for free? They wouldn't do it. I mean, we we did end up having some people come, but it's like they thought, what is this? There isn't anything that's free. No way. This can't be right. They're going to bait and switch me. They're going to... I mean, I stood out on the curb next to someone who... they they kind of pulled in and then they pulled out. Then they drove by a couple times. And then they pulled up and they stopped. And finally I went down they rolled down their window and I'm like, what's the deal? Why don't you just come in and let us wash your car? Well, this can't be free. I'm like, no, really. Um, we had people roll down their windows and throw money out the window as they're trying to drive away and we're running and picking it up and throwing it back in the window. But But we get this idea that That we can't just simply receive something for free. Somehow we need to pay for it. But it is. It is free. Paul says that what we must do is just receive it. We can't justify ourselves. We can't gain this freedom by exchanging something for it. It's a gift. And In fact, I really think that it's a difference of attitude. It's a difference of attitude. We need to see ourselves as free. We need to actually believe that we're free. That we have been set free. See, God doesn't want to relate to us as debtors. He doesn't want us to relate to Him as slaves. Paul described that a couple of weeks ago. We're sons and daughters. Heirs. Heirs. On the one hand, we say, isn't our God good and full of grace and mercy? And on the other hand, uh, we can be simply incapable of accepting it. Our lack of perfect goodness is offended by this. It it should be earned, right? The Bible says, "Know that the entrance into God's kingdom is by grace alone." But we struggle to live our lives in this way, like the Judaizers. You know, they had like this this brownie board or this you know like when you're in elementary school and you have your name and you get stars behind your name for for being good. I didn't have very many stars when I was in elementary school, but. Um, That's what we want to do. We want to somehow justify ourselves and get stars by our names, and that's what the Judaizers were doing. So how are you living your life? Are you living your life with a sense of freedom and sort of exhale in Christ, and wow, what what an incredible life I have? Or are you allowing yourself to be sucked back into putting marks on a board? I did this, I did this, I did this. God should be pleased with me. Or are you just living for Him, with Him? And I, I want to encourage you this week to focus on receiving the love and grace from God. Not your discipline in your life, but just allow Him to speak into your life. Ask Him to help you experience a lack of guilt and and bondage. Um, give the Holy Spirit that rain in your life this week. Which brings us to our next point, which is simply this. Hope is not a wish, it is a certainty. Now, I, I've been keeping track and I've heard several people, even this morning, say, well, I hope this or I hope that or I really hope. You know, it looks like it's going to rain and somebody else says, well, I really hope so. So in our culture, in our dictionary, in our language, what does hope mean? It's a wish. It's wishful thinking. Um, Webster's Dictionary says, It is to cherish a desire with anticipation. It's wishful thinking. Now, if we read this next verse with our understanding of hope in that way, it's really kind of scary Look at verse 5. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Okay? Now, sometimes in when we translate the original Greek into our English language, there just isn't a good word for it. Um, and, and I don't know why they chose the word hope here. Um, they're a lot smarter than I am. But um, I do need to let us know what the actual definition of this Greek word, translated hope, here is. And it literally here means with absolute certainty. With absolute certainty. Now, let's read that verse. In fact, if, if you mark in your Bible, circle that word hope, put a little line to, the, to, the, to where you can write and put absolute certainty. So Paul is saying right here, so by faith, without seeing it, we eagerly await, we have this anticipation, we're excited about it, it's coming. um, Through the Spirit, the only way it's possible, through the Spirit of God, His work in us, He's heating us up, He's changing us, He's strengthening us. It's not any power that we produce. We aren't the ones making this happen, it's Him. Okay, so through the Spirit, the righteousness... um, We're going to be looking at that next week. The good things, the fruit, those kinds of things that's produced in us for which we hope, for which we are absolutely certain. That to me is a lot different than wishful thinking. That to me says, you know what? I am a son of God. And he says, he's going to bring righteousness in my life and I can be absolutely certain that that's going to happen because He's changing me. He's transforming me. It's not me. It's not because I'm such a disciplined and experienced person. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. That's why your Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Sarah or the fruit of Don or the fruit of Dick. It's the fruit of the Spirit With absolute certainty. Titus 2 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. It is an absolute certainty that He's come. And He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Not to teach us how to discipline ourselves. There is some of that, yes. But the ultimate change and the desire to change and the freedom in that change comes from the Holy Spirit. So whether there is moral achievement in your life or not, whether you... Successfully obeyed the commands of Jesus Christ this week or you experienced failure. God doesn't love you any less. And because you did some things, He doesn't love you any more. See, He loves me when I fail. And, and when we fail, shame wants to come in. That sense of debt, that sense of bondage. And Paul says, no, it is for freedom that Jesus made you free. Don't let that freedom slip away. Remember, He still loves you. He doesn't love you less because you failed. And just the, the opposite of that is this. We also need to remember that He doesn't love us more when we succeed. He doesn't love us more when we succeed. You might be thinking, but isn't that the point? Success? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that statement. But here's the problem. And this is where the Judaizers were, were placing their marks on their brownie, co- their brownie card because every time somebody was circumcised, it's like, yep, we got another one. Yep, we got another one. Yep, we got another one. Galatians 3.5 in the New Living says this, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. It is because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. He has come into your life. He is changing you. So if if we aren't living in freedom, if, if you're trying to tie somehow the love that God has for you with the things that you're doing, you need to give that up. Because it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't. When we fail, when we succeed, God loves us. Uh, in his book, The Prodigal God, Tim Keller asks, tells the following story, and I... I think it was sometime last year that I've used this before. But it's about this attitude and it goes like this. Once upon a time there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and he said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown and will ever grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all of this and he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said thank you and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed so the king said, Let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. See, God can't be manipulated. God God loves us when we fail and He loves us when we succeed. And He wants us to live a life of freedom. That gardener was displaying his generosity. He, he, He just simply had something great and he wanted to give it to the king wasn't looking to get something out of it. Let's not treat God that way. Let's not look to get something out. Let's, let's enjoy the freedom that he's given us and let's serve him uh, out of love. And, and that's the way Paul ends that short passage there. With nothing expected in return. Let's live our lives this week free. Free from guilt. Free from the law being transformed. Transformed by the Gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for what You continue to teach me and You continue to teach us through this book of Galatians. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to truly experience freedom. Father, I know there's lives here today that they might be a mess. Lord, there might be So many questions as to what the future holds. And Lord, I know that you have answers for those things, but I know that those things aren't the most important questions. Father, I pray that each one of us in this room have answered that most important question, and that's who have I put my faith and trust in as my Savior, myself, discipline, moral. Reformation, or have I put my faith and trust in you? My only hope is salvation. The only Savior, the one God. Oh Lord, may that be true for each one of us. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to straighten us out, purify our hearts, purify our minds, teach us. And Lord, may we rest this week and understand just a little bit more what it means to be free. To be free indeed, in Jesus' name.